tells us, beginning in verse 1, we don't get there. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, interesting thing here, it always says, when you look in Scripture, it always says up to Jerusalem. That's because of the geography of the area. All roads going to Jerusalem seem to go up. There was a high point. The temple itself was situated on the highest point of the city of Jerusalem. And like would often happen in Jesus' life, he would go to Jerusalem as many observant Jews would for a feast. Now, it doesn't tell us which feast he's going to, but it really doesn't matter in, in some ways which feast. We know that when there were feasts in Jerusalem, lots of people came to Jerusalem. It was the capital of the religious life of Israel. The temple was there, and there was something about being in that city on a feast day. Now, one of the ones that, that's observed still to this day all around the world is where the Jews take Passover today. It's coming up in just a few weeks around um, Easter time would be for us as believers, although Jesus was around when Passover when he was betrayed and crucified. Um, and one of the things that even to this day in, in Jewish seders, when they take the Passover meal together, one of the things they end with is the saying, and next year in Jerusalem. There's always the hope. There's something about being in Jerusalem for a feast. And so Jesus, being a good, observant Jewish man, is with his disciples who go to Jerusalem for the feast. It tells us in the, in the very next verse, not only that, now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool. In Greek and Aramaic, it's called Bethesda, and this is surrounded by five colored colonnades. Notice the word is in that verse. That means this is current. When, when John is writing this down, he's writing to people that could go to Jerusalem and could go to this area near the Sheep Gate. And if they went to the area near the Sheep Gate, they would find a pool that still is there. And it is surrounded. It is not today. It's not particularly structured around there. It is surrounded by five colored or covered colonnades. Important thing. You know, the Bible is very current. It's, it's related to us in a way that we can believe what it says. It was written actually very close to the time of the events that are depicted here. One of the reasons we know that is because about 70 A.D., the temple and much of Jerusalem, because of the, the invasion and, and the persecution of, of the Jewish people, was destroyed. And so some of these structures wouldn't have been is's, they would have been was's. You know the difference between is and a was, don't you? I don't. I never knew. But, but nonetheless. So, so we, we have an idea this happened within a few years written down the things that happened actually here. Um, it goes on and we find out that there's a, there's a reason he mentions this particular pool. In the next verse it tells us this. Here a great number of disabled people, look at this word, used to lie. What does used to mean? It means they did at one time, but they don't the most. So we have this sort of, here's what is there, and here's what used to happen. Very current, connecting it to the time. And the people that used to lie there were the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Now, why did they lie there? It's an interesting thing. The belief was, ever so often, the surface of the waters would be disturbed by an angel. It wasn't on a regular schedule. It wasn't something that happened, you know, every second Tuesday of the month, around the full moon or whatever. It was just from time to time, the, the waters would be disturbed. And the belief was that the first person that got into the pool after the angel stirred the waters, there were magical healing properties in the water now. And the first person in 
would be healed. This is why all around the school, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed people gathered. That must have been quite a sight. Can you imagine in this city, this, this bustling city, this East Week city, all the people coming in to be a part of it, this area just near the Sheep Gate, so on the one of the ways into the city or out of the city, there's this crowd of people. We don't know how many, just as a great number. What is a great number? If it's your bank account, a couple million, right? If it's how many kids you want to have, it's like one is a great number. Amen. No. And it depends. So we don't really know what a great number is, but, but there was probably a crowd of people. And you would think that. You would think if I was ill, if I was blind or lame or paralyzed, and it was possible that just by getting into the school, I might not be blind or lame or paralyzed anymore, I might want to be there. And in that day and time, Positions were really only for the ultra-rich. And there was a whole different way of looking at illness. And we'll see that as the story kind of unfolds with Jesus and the Pharisees and that sort of thing. So, so probably what's happened is because of the healing properties here, families would come and just see their blind or paralyzed or lame family members by the pool, hoping when the angel stirred the water, maybe be today, maybe not, we don't know, they'd get in and something miraculous would happen. Well, we learn in the next verse, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. That is a long time. 38 years. I think the implication is not only had he been an invalid for 38 years, but probably for 38 years his family had been bringing him to the pool of Bethesda and depositing him by maybe every day even, maybe on a regular basis, hoping he might be the one who, when the angel stirred the waters, would get in and miraculously be healed. Thirty-eight years. That is a long time for just a upsetting. Well, Jesus comes along. And it says in the next verse, When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. Now, what's interesting, as soon as I, I read that, we just skip right over it. Because Jesus is Jesus, right? Jesus just knows stuff. This is good. There are places in Scripture where people are thinking something, and in the next verse it says, and Jesus answered them. They didn't say
with blind and lame and paralyzed people. And let's say six paralyzed people get into the pool, but only one is healed. That must have been a pretty tense few minutes. I mean, did they help each other out? Okay, this guy's healed, so it's his job to get the other people that were second, third, fourth, fifth out. Or, or the family members hang out, or were there, there are certain officials around? We don't know all those details, but it must have been an incredible thing. He asked this man, do you want to be healed? As if he said, you know what, Jesus, i got a good thing going here. Like, Jesus, you're kind of in my way. I can't see if the water's being stirred. Could you move a little to the left, Jesus? This is, I mean, this is working out just perfectly. Do you want to get well? What kind of question is this? Yes, sir. Of course he wants to get well. For 38 years, sir, I've been here every day. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And again, probably twice or three times. Apparently some people did have help. It sounds like from what he said that, that maybe maybe they made deals and maybe they made bargains. Okay, this time I'm going to help you get in. And if you get healed, can you help me next time? I don't know how it works, but he's just there. And, right? And it, if, you, if you remember this, it's got to be hard to move anyway, much less quickly at the right moment to be in the right place. Jesus, do I want to get well? I've been trying for it. I don't know anybody to help me. What do you mean do I want to get well? Then Jesus said to him, Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And at once, the man was cured. No water necessary. And he picked up his mat and he walked. Isn't that a great story? Isn't that a great account? Jesus comes along and he sees this situation, apparently figures out a few things about it, learns about this man, has a conversation with this man, and circumvents the whole process and says, forget about this pool stuff. Just stand up, carry your mat, pick up your mat, and walk. And we find out a few verses later, by the way, Jesus doesn't stick around so everybody knows. Jesus doesn't stick around so the crowd can applaud or, or people can say, wow, there's Jesus, or he can get more followers. In fact, he slips away into the crowd. He just sort of disappears. He shows up, does this incredible, miraculous thing, and he's gone. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, what did they say to him? I love, what should they have said to him? Dude, you're walking around. How'd that happen? Dude is an old Hebrew term. Just for the record. You're walking. How did that happen? You're healed. That is amazing. You know what they say to the man? Next verse tells us. It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. say that at all. What happened was, we, we go to Exodus 1, we have those wonderful Ten Commandments you've probably heard something about, and one of the commandments talks about the Sabbath, keeping it holy, and doing no work. Okay, so, 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 
what happened was, over the course of history, Jewish rabbis, Jewish leaders, religious teachers, tried to interpret what that meant for the people. What does it mean that you shouldn't do any work on the Sabbath? And they came up with, believe it or not, 39 different categories of work you cannot do on the Sabbath. You probably didn't even know there were 39 different types of work you could do. But according to these 39 categories of work you cannot do on the Sabbath. And it's been continually interpreted down through the ages to the point that even today, modern-day Orthodox observant Jewish people will not turn on a light switch on the Sabbath. Because their rabbis have said, actually, what happens when you turn on a light switch is a fire of sorts has begun. And according to these 39 categories, one thing you cannot do on the Sabbath is start a fire. You're flipping the switch, bad. Because you did something wrong, and maybe your parents did 
something wrong, and you deserve to be sick. That was just religious structure views of the day that went along with the don't carry your stuff on the back. And so here's a man who was raised in that culture, who was raised with that understanding, and he's talking to religious leaders who, for his whole life, had done nothing for him because when they looked at him, all they saw was somebody who deserved to lie there by the pool because he or somebody close to him had done something wrong. And so what do we care about that? He just did what he was raised with. And then there's this other fellow who comes along and in a few minutes takes the time to learn something about it and says to him, pick up your mat and walk. And he chose Again, it's a good choice. I'm going to go with the fellow who actually did something for me. I'm going to listen to the guy that took me from an invalid to somebody who can walk. So I'm just doing what the guy said to me to do. He treated me like none of you have ever bothered with me. That's the first problem he gets. So they ask him, who is this fellow? Now he got their attention. Oh, somebody's given you instruction that you don't like. Who is this fellow? Who is this person who told you to pick up and walk? And this is where we learn in the next verse what happened. This guy tells the prince that um, that the guy sent him. The man who was healed had no idea who it was, and Jesus slipped away into the crowd that was with him. Yeah, right? Maybe you got that. So Jesus slipped away. Let's go back to the other side. Because we're reading, we have no different language than the general crowd. And now they're all they're all reading. What's that? So Jesus slipped away, and, and, and so there it is. There's this whole situation. I'd love to tell you that to see the story, but there's more. Are you excited there's more? Or is it just me? I don't know. I'm excited. I wouldn't fast that long. There's this, there's this altercation happening in this man that we're able to see between this religious system he had been taught for his whole life to, to follow and believe that had done nothing for him, and for this other guy who comes along, and who has a way of upsetting the leaders of the religious system that was in the crowd. He doesn't know who he is. What, what, what happens is later in the day, well, maybe not later in the day, but later on because of all the scripture stuff, maybe, I assume it was maybe that same day or a very recent day, I don't think the time frame is too long, this man, now healed, finds himself in the temple. And guess who else is there? that actually spoke to him and told him to get up and walk. Let's read the next part. Verse 19 and 20. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and asked, look at what he said to him. I see you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, we can see something like that, can't we? Stop sinning or that. Now, here's the thing. Personally, this is my opinion. You hear me? This is what? like a little commentary on this. I think this might be a commentary a little bit by Jesus on the greater cultural picture. That the reason he was an invalid in the first place was that somebody had done something bad. It's almost like Jesus is like, do you remember that? Like, I do. Like, other people say maybe because he's healed, he went out and celebrated with his friends and had a few too many and Jesus knew and he was just letting know, hey, I saw you. Stop that. 
So here's the thing. The tithe either has dropped from the knee high or the tithe he has been before. Either way, Jesus knows what he's doing. Jesus knows when he's not personal. Neither am I. Neither are you. Neither were the Pharisees or the enemies of Jesus. And he doesn't like take away his miracle. He just says something a little, or something worse than that. You come to me with your hands and you curse me back. Worse than having to be saved by these Jews for 38 years with all these others, watching people that could walk by and couldn't care less about me. Worse than having a whole culture and religious system look down on me as if I deserve to be that invalid lying by the pool there. It could get worse than that. Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them new life, 
even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Now we can say that because standing nearby, by the way, in the temple where all the people are gathered because it's a feast time, in the temple with Jesus is the man who he in fact gave new life to. And he says, take up your mat and walk. Jesus has spoken healing and life to this man. So when he says, The son, what are you doing? And I said, I'd be wrong with that. But the father gives life, I give life. He's different. Written after the same formula over and over and over again throughout the scriptures. I tell you the truth, Jesus is saying, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. That means I imagine he made eye contact with that fellow in the corner with the mask who had spent 38 years of his life being condemned for what everybody knew he deserved for spending his life for the sin of his parents' life and the sin somebody's life that caused him to have to do that. And Jesus said, if you hear and believe, look what the man did, wasn't he? He heard Jesus' word. Get up, take your mat, and go away. What did the man do? He heard it, and he believed it. What does it mean to believe? It's an important thing. We talked about that a lot in the 40 days in the Word, and we looked at all the fun with that idea. What does it mean to really believe? I can tell what you believe by how you act. I believe in George Washington. when he was first president. We talked about a lot of things I believe in. And by saying that, I mean I believe, having studied history and looked at some things, these things actually happened in history. But I don't think that's what this word believe means. Believe here doesn't mean, okay, I believe that there is a guy, Jesus, in history, and I believe that, that he did some things, maybe even healed this man with some things that were before. I believe he said some things. I believe he died on the cross. I believe this intellectual assent to some facts is not what's at issue. How did the man with his mask believe? He did the thing Jesus asked him to do. And I think that's what Jesus is going to say. Here's what he Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, meaning believes that what I say comes from God, and the Father shows the Son what he's doing, and the Father's working and I'm working, and, and I'm just doing what I see the Father doing. So they hear my word, and they believe they come straight from God and they act on them, they have eternal life. They're not condemned. They have to reject that thing. And regardless of how they act on that thing. Let's fast forward a few verses. Let me get down to about verse 39. Because this is not the kind of thing that sat well with the Pharisees. So a little bit later, Jesus focuses in on them, the religious leaders. In verse 39, he says this to them. He tells them, You diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. That's what he's saying. I think he's saying, Hey, listen, Pharisees, 
Church of Sweden, we have spent a lot of time reading and meditating the scriptures of the Old Testament. And if you're familiar with the Pharisees, they studied a lot. They were really good at doing good. In fact, their job professionally was to do good. Right? That's their prescription. You take the Bible, you read it, and it says to do this, you do it. Do this, you do it. They were trying to position themselves, and they thought because of their behavior, because of the way they so diligently studied the Scriptures and spent so much time reading them, and they were so specific about things like prayer and fasting and Sabbath, that if God ever was to do something, they would be the ones in the right position and be the first to know it. And if God ever spoke again, because at this point it's been about 400 years since the prophets had last spoken and written, if God ever spoke again, they would be the ones that would position themselves most uniquely to do it. They had spent a lot of time and effort trying to get the minutia of the law down so that they were really good at doing good. Which is not so much different than how some of us go about our lives. And I would suggest most people, if they believe there is a God, and some people say there is no such thing as a God, they believe they believe in some sort of God or higher power or whatever word you want to use or whatever word they use, if they believe in a God of some sort, they also recognize that God's got to be a the ostrich tonight, people. Keep up. Yeah, that's what we are. We just want God to have life. And, and really, uh, some of what we do is hoping that if we do the right thing, God will really like us. I'm going to go out on a limb and say some people come to churches because they think that God likes you more when you're in the church than when you're not. Him love you more or less than others. Because that's who he is. God is love. He loves you. And you don't make him happier by behaving better. Right? So let's just say, on some weird way, you could. Let's say, if you were good enough, you could make God happy. Well, let's think about it this way. All of us, have you ever said a prayer? make a New Year's resolution. Anybody ever make a New Year's resolution? It is February 22nd. How many of you have kept the New Year's resolution from 2015 to this day? Three of you. Four of you. Four people out of how many have kept it? Who, who set goals? If we're honest with you, do I set a goal? I don't set it because I can see it. You know, I don't set the goal I don't have a goal to run for two 
feed 100, hope that they're attracted to him. That would not happen. That's unrealistic. And I don't want to set a goal that I can't reach. I'd like to set a goal. I'd like to, to run it maybe with five other friends and do the relay and run more this time than the last time. I ran it. That would be good. That would make it fun. So I can do that. We all set goals we can reach. And here's the thing. Even when I set goals I can reach, I don't even meet my own low standards. Sometimes I can't even stay on the diet. So if I can't live up to my own expectations, what is the likelihood that God would set expectations that somehow I can achieve? I mean, I don't live up to mine, and I set the bar pretty low. God is God. How are we ever going to live up to those? And if the Pharisees were honest, even though they studied the law and poured through it and tried to get all the minutiae right, they went to bed at night wondering if they did enough. If they didn't get enough. No matter how much they studied, no matter what they did, it was never enough to give them a piece of understanding God is active. And part of it is the Bible itself says the law was given not to make you feel better about how close you are to God, but to show you, in fact, how far you are away from His standards. The Old Testament law that they studied, that they diligently studied, only reinforced the idea you can't make it on your own. studied the Scriptures, hoping to possess, it's kind of like the next verse tells us, they, these are the Scriptures that testify about me. Possess others. About Jesus. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. You've studied the Scriptures. You are the religious leaders who lead the feast that the people are in town for. You are the ones that make sure all the rules are enforced. And you know the number of sacrifices that will happen in this city over this feast week or weekend. You know how many sheep and turtle doves and bulls will be killed at the temple. You know the amount that will be shed and you know that incredible cost that's going on. You are familiar with the sacrifices of people. You don't understand all of those sacrifices point to the one final sacrifice. The one that I'm going to make in just a few chapters. This day just for one.
we listen to the hidden Jesus on the cross says this to us. For you say others, you can't say the same. Thank you. 